can't stay. But baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. But baby, it's cold outside. Hey, everybody, this is Boss Larry coming from the uh, Mesquite Compound uh, on this cold winter day uh, for a special episode, a holiday special. Uh, I'm here with uh, our good friends, uh, Eric. Uh, say hi, Eric. Hi, Eric. Uh, it's this is Eric Render King Fisk coming from you, uh, recording live from our st- uh, in front of a live studio audience here in the Fedora Chronicles Network Studios in downtown uh, Ringe, New Hampshire, and and baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> Fantastic and ever so lovely, the talented Daisy Adair. Say hi, Daisy. Hello, Boss Larry. What's buzzing, cousin? Hey, tell you what, just trying to stay warm. Just oh, boy, to stay- don't I know it. Mm-hmm. Don't I know it. It gets awful cold in this rickety bootleg shack. <laughs> well, quit talking about my house that way. Uh- <laughs> oh, you know I wouldn't. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, uh, as we were saying, this uh, uh, this is going to be a, a holiday special. We're not going to talk exclusively about holiday stuff, but... Got some good things going on, and uh, tell you what, let's go ahead and kick it off. Hey Daisy, uh, I think yeah. there's something, uh, some a few, one or two things um, holiday related you wanted to talk about. Well, sure. I mean, we can kick it off with the holiday topic. But um, one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of our uh, Christmas nostalgia, a lot of our holiday nostalgia, which especially comes from movies. A lot of those movies come out of the Diesel era, you know, from the from the 40s, from the 50s. You've especially you've got stuff like, uh, I don't know, Miracle on 34th Street. And then you've got movies that regularly get shown around that time of year that come from the Diesel era. But one thing that you told me right before we started was that today is the 70th anniversary of It's a Wonderful Life. Mm, yes, indeed. Uh, I think I was wrong about the exact date, but we're, we're close. I think it was actually released on the 25th, oh. uh, but sure is. Uh, so yeah, but this year marks the 70th anniversary. Right. This year marks the 70th anniversary. I have to say, of the classic Diesel Era films, that one is my favorite. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a big favorite in our house, too. Uh, we... We always make sure that we catch it at least once, at least once in the holiday season. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, that's always – some people love it. Some people hate it because uh, during the 70s and 80s when it was public oh. domain, it was played to the point of ad nauseum. That's right. That's right. You know, back in 1946 when it was released, it didn't do well. It was a bomb. And the re yeah, and the like I was gonna say, you stole my thunder, Larry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, they were looking for cheap stuff to show on TV in the seventies and so they started playing It's a Wonderful Life a whole lot because it was in the public domain. And so of course people who grew up seeing it on TV as kids, you know, it's become this big tradition now. And I'm sure somebody owns the rights to it now, because I mean as popular as it is now, someone's got to own the rights. Oh, it, it, it's, it's owned again. Uh, 
they finally renewed their uh, copyright on it, and that's why, as soon as they did, suddenly it just kind of uh, dropped out of the picture again to being only shown occasionally. Uh, now, not the uh, not the uh, almost back to back ad nauseum. Well, I will now. I go ahead. Go ahead, Daisy. Now you go ahead. Well, the thing is, is that I remember it was a huge staple on. It was either the Turner Classic Movies or um, American Movie Classics, and uh, every time you turned around, I mean, there it was. It was like right in front of your face, and it was. But I mean, the thing is, is that it was like it's like one of those things where it's like um, the you know the original word of the word classic means something that occurs once a year, like an annual thing. And and the thing is, that's why it's considered a quote classic is because it was it because it's what you did. It's what you watched. And the thing is, is that to look at it, you know, back in the day, um, it, it really did have a very heavy handed social commentary about what had happened over the, uh, the, the past 20 years when it was released in 1946. There's a, yeah. there's a lot going on in this movie. It talks about the Great Depression. It talks about the stock market crash, World War II. And um, it also has a little commentary on, on, on the banks and the robber barons uh, of, of mm-hmm. the era. Um, and it's, I, but I consider it sort of like it's one of those movies, whereas it, it's a perfect time capsule of that period. And we look back at, at it with nostalgia and, and whatnot. Um, it's amazing how people who grew up during that area era have a lot of really great things to say about that movie. So, and I, hey, listen, I also own the DVD version of it. So, oh yeah. So I mean, right. I can't. I'm not one of those people who says, "Oh, I hate it." And <laughs> and uh, go ahead, Larry. Now, sorry, Larry. No, 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 no. I was. No, no. Uh, I found us a little information about the. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. About you know we mentioned about copyright and. Uh, uh, Daisy, you mentioned that somebody owns the copyright. Well, turns out in the 90s, there was a series of court battles, and then uh, the uh, movie house uh, NTEA uh, was a successor Republic Pictures, and they reacquired the rights to the film because of the source material. And as a result, and the film score, and as a result, they now own copyright. NBC now exclusively rebroadcasts the films at least twice annually during holiday season. Source on this is uh, very reliable, IMDb. Okay. Okay, now, you were talking about how NBC shows it, and um, especially when it's on TV with commercials, I mean, I love it. It's a classic movie, but doesn't it seem like it's kind of long? Well, I, I, I mean, yes, of course. I mean, yes, it is. It is exceptionally long, but for for me, it's drawn out longer than it really needs to be with all of those all of those extra commercials. And the thing is, is that it's one of those movies. Whereas, I mean, I can I can rattle off the name of a lot of movies. Whereas, it's like once you're into it, you're into it, and and, and you get sucked in. And it's it's it doesn't right. really fare very well when you see commercials because usually the commercials that they have are in color, and when they sw- switch back and forth between color and black and white, even when they do the schmaltzy, you're watching "It's a Wonderful Life" on NBC. It, it, it doesn't. No, it, it's it has to. You have to keep it going. You have to let it just let it play out. 
and uh, get get a DVD or the Blu-ray version. Don't mess with the what they what they show you on network TV. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever been able to sit through the whole thing on network TV. And I think they overkill on the commercials. Um, whereas a lot of movies they might break. Well, one, how many movies do you really see on commercial television? Um, special. Yeah. And I think they use that as, oh, it's a special, so we're really going to dump the commercials on it. And yeah. uh, so, so they stretch an hour and a half movie, if that being when it was made, uh, out to three hours, something like that. Um, yeah. And on top of so that. What we're saying is get the what we're saying is get the DVD. Now I take that back. IMDb says it's a without commercials. It's two hours and ten minutes. Yes. That is long for that era. I agree. Yeah, uh, I th- I think that the but, the thing is is that to dump commercials into it's a wonderful life, and it's a wonderful life actually is a movie about, about the anti commercialization <laughs> of Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it is completely lost. Yeah, there's some type of irony, postmodern irony about uh, corporate sponsorships of it's a wonderful life but it's funny because just like a christmas carol it's become one of those stories that you see everywhere so many tv shows will have an episode that is like the plot of it's a wonderful life have you noticed that oh yeah Mm. yeah uh the theme of him having what would my life have been like if i never existed has been used uh, time and time again so I guess you can safely say that makes it iconic. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it is. is. It's one of those everybody, things. It's one of those things everybody knows. Well, everybody it, knows the story, even if they've never seen the movie. Somehow, they still know what it's about. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I think is also sort of like it's one of those. It's become uh, our generations. Uh, version of a Christmas Carol, like you know, because back in the '30s and yeah. '40s and '50s, you couldn't swing, a, you could not swing uh, a dead fruitcake without hitting <laughs> some reference to Charles Dickinson's <laughs> "It's a Wonderful Life." No, I mean, not a Wonderful Life, uh, a Christmas Carol, which is kind of like it's it, it's the anti "It's a Wonderful Life" because. I mean, imagine three spirits or four spirits come and harass Mr. Potter um, and say, say, you know, you need to straighten your act out. And he becomes a better man because of the spirits of Christmas coming and harassing him. That's exact. That's the plot of uh, A Christmas Carol, except for what's with Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. Speaking. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Speaking of Mr. Potter, have any of you seen the uh, Saturday Night Live skit of the alternate ending to It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> I, I was about to mention I that. Seen you Saturday Night Live's alternate. I saw one on the, da- on the, the Daily Show. It was funny. The one where it's uh, um, you, you have uh, Dana Carvey as Jimmy Stewart and uh, John Lovitz as Mr. Potter. And they say... 
you know, hey, it's like uh, I just heard I just heard from the the banker that Mr. Potter just deposited exactly the same amount of mon- money that that uh, uh, Uncle Billy lost. Is yeah, well, let's go get him. And it's like, <laughs> Mr. Potter, you're you're you are yeah yeah, Mr. Potter, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, Mr. Potter. <laughs> George Bailey, now you just wait a minute. And then he gets up out of the chair and says, oh, oh, Mr. Potter, you're not even a cripple. You're, you're a fraud. <laughs> and then they all go about and somehow um, John Lovett's, uh, he's like, he's switched with a dummy when he like, he falls behind the desk. And of course, they bring out the dummy and everybody's like kicking the dummy's ass as if it's Mr. Potter. They wail on him. <laughs> They wail on a on, on Mr. Potter, and <laughs> you know everybody takes takes turns kicking him, and and uh, I think the also the intro from Bill Shatner because William Shatner had hosted Saturday Night Live, where it's like uh, he had a hard time keeping a straight face because he knew what was gonna what was what was coming, <laughs> but. If, 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 I, but I want to be able to say something as far as the alternate ending of It's a Wonderful Life. Um, do you ever think that Miss, after the movie is over and done with, do you think that Mr. Potter ever had his comeuppance? Or do you, hmm. do you think that it was he got away with it and it's only until he like reached the pearly gates and he was he was sent to the, uh, the lake of fire to burn you know <laughs> smoke clothes that's a cigarette. good question you, you mentioned about uh scrooge that would make a good sequel to it yeah i think i think it would be it's like the th- it's like uh, another fine example is that i don't know if you guys remember beavis and butthead oh yeah <laughs> right and they did a so be- i wasn't allowed to watch <laughs> You had horrible parents. You had bad parents. Because the thing is, is that there's one show that you should watch with your kids. Because it's besides my high school yearbooks, it is it is an example of exactly what not to do. And uh, they did a takeoff of "It's a Wonderful Life" with Beavis and Butthead, and they showed. Um, Beavis, that the world would have been a much better place without him. <laughs> you know? That's it would have been a better place. And Clarence the angel winds up drowning in the river, and Beavis is like, ha, 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 you know. So, oh, I mean, so, so many, funny. so many other people have done just great riffs on "It's a Wonderful Life" and and uh, and uh, Christmas Carol. It's it's interesting to see the the entire notion of the, the Christmas is a time when you think of the passage of time. It is something that is it's a very temporal holiday. You think a lot about you know Christmas's past and and I was just thinking about what is Christmas going to look like in the near future when my kids are all grown up. What is that going to look like? And that's why my wife and I really go overboard with Christmas because the kids aren't gonna, always going to want to spend Christmas with, with us. So. Mm-hmm. so now that I just brought everything down. So. <laughs> all right. <laughs> now you're all, we're all depressed now, Eric. Thanks. You need me to rescue you. Yes. Send me a lifeline. <laughs> yes. Daisy, brighten things up, dear. Well, I hopefully it'll bright things up, but I got a couple of reviews here I'd like to get through. Uh, some of them I've been sitting on for a while. Some of them I've just now been able to do. But um, I got some reviews and some news here. And the first thing I'd like to talk about is a book. Once again, welcome to Fine Literature with Daisy O'Dare. 
I'm going to insert. Go. I'm going to insert the book the, that I've been because uh, I've been you know reviewing books a lot lately, and this is the first fiction book I've reviewed in a while, and uh, it's called Dragonfly. Uh, Dragonfly is a book written by our friend and occasional guest, Mr. Charles Cornell, who a lot of you may know from our Agent Carter Roundtable podcast. Uh, he sent me a copy of Dragonfly when I was asking if anyone had any recommendations for what to read next. That was back in August, and I'm finally able to <laughs> give a review here on the podcast. I've had a little bit of a backlog to get through. But Dragonfly is set in an alternate version of World War II. It's 1942, and there's a RAF, the British Royal Air Force pilot. Her name is Veronica Somerset, and she's aiming to be the first female combat pilot. She's assigned to a special Royal Navy base where she ends up being the one to fly this new, this brand new aircraft called the Dragonfly, which is uh, a really cool plane. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say right now. Meanwhile, <laughs> Germany is preparing for an invasion of Britain. And Britain is incredibly vulnerable now because in this alternate history, America is pulling out of the war. Now, this is just the setup to get you interested. But I got to tell you, I think this is one of those books that has something for just about everybody. If you like reading about magic and fantasy, it has those elements. Hitler has his own personal sorcerer who's helping him plan out an attack. And there, so, I mean, there's got magic in this story. There's also a druid who's involved, but I'm not going to say any more than that because I ain't giving nothing away. <laughs> <laughs> And if you're really into technology or the fighter planes or the boats from World War II, there's a lot of really different cool vessels on either side. The coolest of all, of course, being the Dragonfly. And if you like the historical aspect of World War II, this would be a great read because you can tell that Charles has done his research. I swear, like I say, you got to know your real history to be able to write good alternate history. I think this is. Oh, go ahead, Daisy. Sorry, go ahead. I think this is no, the perfect ahead. time when uh, John should insert the uh, the theme from Masterpiece Theater when you're oh, doing book <laughs> when you're doing book reapers. Here's here's a question for you. Yes, sir. Um, how soon do you think that they're going to take somebody is going to take this book and and run away with it and try and make it into a series like uh, like an like. Uh, Man in the High Castle. Is somebody going to try and, um, uh, oh, what the, what's the, um, is somebody going to try and Game, Game of Thrones, this, this series of books, or is it just one book? Or I don't know. Right now, it's just one book. He is working on a sequel. It's a little bit behind, but he says hopefully it'll be out next year. And the sequel is going to be titled, let me pull that back up. He was messaging me about it. It's called Spies in Manhattan. Oh. So the action is obviously going to move from the UK to the US. One of my favorite. But again, it, sorry. One of my favorite aspects of uh, of of World War Two is the the battle on the American home front, searching for Nazi spies and saboteurs during World War Two mm. uh, here in the here in the United States and Canada and 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 parts of Mexico. I'm telling you. I mean, you. you I mean. Just throwing a, a a couple of fedoras and a cowbell, and I'm yours for life. That's it. That's all I need. Well, I'm pretty fired up. That really sounds great. I've been looking for a good uh, 
fiction for a while, and I haven't had a chance to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds fascinating. Well, of course, if you were like me, and you're looking for just some amazing female lead characters, like I always say, whenever I see our friend Tommy Hancock at Pro Se Press at a convention, what books do you have with ladies kicking butt? That's, that's, that's my first question, always. Ronnie Somerset is a great character in that she is capable and she is awesome, but she's also believable. You know how some people write badass ladies as these cold, unfeeling robots or whatever, you know. She doesn't have time to cry for you. Uh, she doesn't have room in her life for a man, that sort of thing. Nah. Right. <laughs> Ronnie has a personality. She gets scared. She jokes with her friends. She mourns losses. She has romance. She's a well-rounded character. And there's some other awesome ladies who show up later on in the story. But as I said, ain't giving away nothing. Good. Good. All in all, I got to say, Dragonfly is a great book. It doesn't bog you down. It keeps you turning the pages. It is exciting and enjoyable. If you are interested in reading Dragonfly by Charles Cornell, you can find it in ebook versions at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and the Apple iBookstore. Part 1 is available for 99 cents if you want to give it a test drive, and you can get the print version through Amazon. Now, I do want to ask you guys, uh, what are some alternate history books that you've enjoyed that you'd like to give a shout-out to? You mean within the past year? Well, within the past year, or are there any that stand out that you really like? Oh, uh, Larry, you you have got to have a, a couple of good ones ready to go. Uh, see, alternate history books, that gets a little tough. Um, uh, let's see. I mean, I can think of several alternate history books uh, that I read, maybe not within the last few year, last year. Um, Hard Magic comes to mind. That's kind of my go-to book for uh, – uh, and it's a it's part of the Grim Noir Chronicles, mm-hmm. uh, written by uh, Larry Correa. And in this alternate history, magic reappeared, uh, or magic appeared, at the end of the American Civil War, just out of nowhere. Uh, and history started being changed little by little. Uh, at the end of World War One. One big change was that Germany, rather than uh, simply arresting Hitler after the Beer Hall push, uh, ex- executed him for treason. Well, that changed history, obviously. Mm. Um, oh, I know of something I just read recently. So, by the way, it's hard magic. Uh, it's been described as Twilight meets the Maltese Falcon. Okay. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so I highly recommend that. That's you can get that. Well, Amazon is one of the locations you can get. It. I found it at Barnes and Noble. Right now on the shelves, just out, uh, the most recent issue of Ideas and Discoveries. Uh, their headline subject is "What if Hitler had been assassinated?" Uh, the Counterfactual History Experiment. Um, you can find this at uh, grocery stores, anywhere that sells magazines. It's Ooh. a fascinating read. And at the bottom of the uh, article, it says, oh, by the way, if you're interested in counterfa- counterfactual uh, fiction, check out Amazon's most recent series, Man in the High Castle. 
Oh, here we go. Here that we go. like a segue if I've ever heard one. Yeah, a segue? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but so, yeah, that is, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that they put this issue out when they did because, uh, well, uh, this month is the season two, beginning of season two of um, Man in the High Castle on Amazon. And this is this and is Eric what, and I have a little thing going on about that, don't we, Eric? Yes, it does. Yes, we have a we have a thing, and and uh, we have a thing. We have a thing going on, and no, it does. That, it does not. That came out all 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 sort of wrong. It, 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 it does not involve saunas and hot tubs and coconut oil. I can tell you that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was this close to breaking out into song. Oh, but the thing is, is that um, we are we are slowly enjoying. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We are we are definitely enjoying uh, Man in the High Castle, but because with everything else that is going on, um, I'm only able to watch one episode a day, and we have like a plethora of other stuff. I don't know if you guys have heard it or not. There's a there's a new Star Wars movie out. I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with it at all. Star yeah. Wars? Is that some indie thing? Yeah, it started as, as a small independent movie um, from this uh, little nerdy guy named George Lucas who from, uh, uh, from Southern California. And uh, uh, so there's a prequel to that movie coming out. And uh, no spoilers, but they... Uh, well, I'm going to spoil it just a little bit. They do manage to steal the plans to the Death Star. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're, we're going to wait for until after New Year's for everybody to catch up um, with Man in the High Castle before Larry and I start watching it. And I will. I, I promise you this time I will have seen every episode be, before <laughs> we start talking about it. I'm, that's, that's not a mistake. I'm going to make a make again. So one of the things I do want to be able to um, uh, talk about here is that there is, you're talking about strong female characters in books. And I'm not talking about the, 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 um, the tightly wound women heroes who don't have time for feelings or emotions or stuff like that. And how it's like, kind of like a cliche where if you're going to be a woman in uh, as a hero, you have to be a, like sort of above like feelings. You have to be sort of asexual, very attractive and yet asexual to be a good feminine hero, which is a load of crap. Um, there's a great book out there called Fluency, and I'm going to butcher this woman's middle name, and I apologize. Uh, Jennifer Forhear Wells, she wrote this great book called Fluency. Look it up. I follow her on Twitter. Um... And she has written this great book about what what would happen if NASA dis- discovered hiding out in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter or beyond, there's an, an alien artifact. And what would it be like if they sent an, an, a, a, um, an Apollo-like rocket capsule to the ship? What would, it ha- what would it look like if we sent somebody to this alien artifact today and what would happen when they finally get to this alien artifact and hmm. uh is it a ship is it a space colony is it is it a listening post what is it and uh um 
Miss Wells does a great job with this. She does a great job with this, and it's captivating. And the thing is, is that all the characters, including the main character, really ring true. You can actually imagine a woman who has conflict, whereas the, the, the woman who is the main character, she's in love with one of the other astronauts who is on this program with her, and it's like, are, are they a couple or are they not a couple? And just sort of dealing with being in a cramped space with four hmm. other people for a, maybe a year and a half round trip. And how, how do you deal with that? And how do you deal with um, um, issues like relationships when you're facing the unknown and, and life and death situations? And how, how, how do relationships play to that? And it, and it sounds really sort of like cheesy. It's sort of like a, like a lifetime science fiction movie, like on the mm-hmm. lifetime network. But it's not like that at all. It's, it's, as a as a as a very masculine man, I can tell you, I I fully endorse this uh, this novel. It's a it's a good read. I think Daisy would love it. Well, I'll have to keep I'll have to keep my eye out for that one. You say it's called Fluency. It is. It's called Fluency, and um, I will send you a link to my review after uh, after the um, after we're done with the podcast. So. Oh right. All right, great. Well, uh, speaking of reviews, uh, it's now time for a little music. (laughs) (laughs) I've got two albums here that have come out uh, in the past couple months that I'd like to talk a little bit about. Um, The first one is an album called There's a Rumpus Going On by Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer. (laughs) Just... Just about this time last year, I got the chance to talk to Mr. B on the Diesel Powered Podcast about uh, his Christmas album that he'd just put out and his Diesel era influences. And everybody also got to hear the nasty cold I had because my mic wasn't behaving, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, if, if you don't know who Mr. B is, he does a style of music that's described as chap hop. It's like hip hop with the beats and the clever rhyming and the often touching on current social issues, but... Chop Hop has more of a Noel Coward or P.G. Wodehouse vibe, and I think it's pretty safe to say he's the only hip-hop artist I know who plays the banjo and has a mustache that awesome. (laughs) He's just put out an album called There's a Rumpus Going On, and I've only got the chance to hear it once so far, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, If you want to get your Chap Hop on, I'd say give it a listen. I'm just going to touch real quick on my top three tracks so far. My top three tracks are No Character to Clear, Ollie and Stan, which is a song about uh, about Laurel and Hardy and how much we need them these days. <laughs> hmm. And then one called uh, Last of the Unknown International Flaneurs. And I finally found out what a flaneur is. And it's someone who lazes about and idles about and just enjoys life and doesn't worry about working. <laughs> But uh, you can find Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer's new album, There's a Rumpus Going On, and you can find your own top three tracks on iTunes or on Bandcamp, or you can buy a physical copy directly from his online store at www.thechaphopshop.bigcartel.com. And if you're looking for something a little more festive, you can also try out his Christmas album from last year called Mr. B's Christmas Album. Available from those places I just mentioned. And um, he's a really great artist. I love his stuff. And his Christmas album is great for people who uh, 
for people who are feeling a little burnt out on Christmas, especially. <laughs> but uh, the second album I'm here to review is uh, one that actually came out back in September, and I haven't had the chance to really talk about it on the show. Um, anybody who has listened to this podcast for a while knows that I'm really into the group Steam Powered Giraffe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, I'd say it's because of them that I am here on the podcast. I got into their music. I wanted to find other people who were into them. And that's how I found the local steampunk group here in Memphis, the Clockwork Mechanalists. The Mechanalists took a trip to the River City Comic Expo in Little Rock back in 2014, and that's where I met Johnny and Mr. Wofford, and as the rest, and as they say, the rest is history. So whenever Steam Powered Giraffe puts out something new, I like to give it a little plug on the podcast. Their latest album, Quintessential, was released in September. Now, last year's release, The Vice Quadrant, which I got to talk a little bit about with um, one of their group members on the podcast about, it was a space opera, like literally a space opera, hmm. like a musical. Somebody singing the in parts. Space. Somebody singing the uh, singing the, um, uh, the the lines, the dialogue. Basically, okay. Yes, but most of the story is told through song. There's occasional dialogue, but most of it's set in space, and it's this grand sweeping saga. So it's it's pretty cool. Now, I dug that album because anything about space is cool to me, and I like it when bands create stories and mythologies and things like that, which is something Steam Powered Giraffe is great at. The lore gets so deep. It's amazing. The new album, Quintessential, is a bit of a return to their folky sound, which we people were used to before that album came out. But uh, this time they have more instruments and more stuff to play with, so it's a bigger sound. They play with a few different genres and tell stories of different characters in their lore. There are a couple of songs which the band has been teasing us with for a long time in demo version that we finally get to hear the finished versions of. So that's been a real treat for those of us who've been around listening to them a while. Top three tracks for, in Daisy's humble opinion, of a quintessential are... The Ballad of Delilah Morio, which is kind of a gothic cabaret-style ballad of one of their characters. A song called Only Human. And a song called Photographic Memories, which... This, this song was teased before the third album. So we thought, maybe it'll be on the third album. It wasn't on the third, it wasn't on the fourth. Finally, it's shown up on the fifth, and you... Just imagine all the screaming that took place on the internet and they realized they'd finally get to hear a finished version of photographic memories. I know, I participated in that screaming. (laughs) Anyway, you can buy Quintessential on iTunes or you can get it directly from the band by going to steampoweredgiraffe.com. Now, I say... Here's another segue. (laughs) Go out... And listen to Quintessential if you can, but the voices you hear on it aren't going to be the same voices you'll be hearing from Steam Powered Giraffe in the future. Because just this week, it was announced that uh, Sam Luke, who plays the part of Hatchworth in the group, is going to be moving on to focus on his solo career. Now, I'm going to miss old Hatchy Boy, but the solo stuff I've heard from Sam so far is great, so I do wish him the best. And they didn't leave us hanging about the future of the group. At the same time it was announced that Sam would be leaving, they've announced the newest member. 
The newest member is a robot character that goes by the name of Zero. He's played by ba- Brian... I'm going to mess this up. Brian Barbarin? Barbarin? I'm not sure. And they released a music video with which both introduces us to Zero and celebrates the holidays. They released a cover of the song Marshmallow World. And finally, I can say I like that song. <laughs> I finally <laughs> found a version I like. <laughs> From what I'm going to tell... From what I can tell, Zero is going to be an interesting character and someone that us diesel punks may want to keep an eye on. Because not only is his voice amazing, but his character has been described as a 1940s swing-style robot. Wow. Yeah, so we may be getting a little more diesel out of these steam-powered robots in the future, which, you know, I like both, but uh, diesel, diesel is where my heart is. Mine you know, it's too, really cool because the spine in the Wikipedia article is described as a futuristic diesel punk robot. They actually use the term diesel yeah. punk. He What's he it? has a diesel punk look to him as well. And you know, I talked to the fellow who plays him, David Bennett. I talked to him on the podcast last year after Vice Quadrant came out. Another one of my big hits. With <laughs> but anyway, yes. Yeah, so um, I'm excited. And, yeah. I mean, more diesel punk. Just more diesel punk everywhere. Just bring it on. That's well, all I and want. Hatchworth was uh, I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't he originally described as an Art Deco robot? He was. He was originally described as Art Deco. He had some elements of maybe very early diesel era. He would wear like the short. I forget the official term for them, but like the short rolled up golfer pants. Mm-hmm. You know, the plus fours, the plus fours, that's what they'd wear, you know, mm-hmm. and you see a lot of 1920s guys wearing those and he had the bowler hat. But yeah, he was originally described as Art Deco. So, you know, maybe they're now you got to admit these robots, these characters have been around for over 100 years. So they're going to be picking up influences as they go. Right. Yeah. So they do all kinds of styles of music on the album. But uh the new one, Quintessential. It's pretty great, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, seeing what we're going to see with them in the future now that they have their new member. Fantastic. I tell you what, I was, I've was i always been a big fan of steam-powered giraffes. I was back when I was a steampunk, and uh, this sounds exciting. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. Hero's voice is amazing. I, I will give anything retro at least one shot. Well, two shots, because I, I like to give people a, a, a chance. So, I mean, this is this is the, one of the reasons why I get, I get into podcasting is because, uh, you know, uh, getting in on the ground floor, listening to all this great retro material out there. So, Daisy, you, ma- you, you, you made a couple of uh, suggestions on my on my wish list. So Ooh. and if it doesn't hey, if it doesn't make it for Christmas, hey, there's always Valentine's Day. And Groundhog Day. Do you guys exchange gifts on Groundhog Day? You know, we might want to start. Hey, why not? I think that's. I think it's a tradition we need to start right away here, because Hallmark doesn't have enough of a of a market on holidays. So, so that's Larry, true. Larry, I'm dying to know what are you listening to this Christmas season? Well, of course, obviously. Uh, the classics. I have a swinging big band. Christmas CD that is a uh, fantastic, and uh, always got to do a little uh, Frank Sinatra and Dino. So nothing specific. 
this Christmas season, uh, but I've already uh, been able to grab a few of those. Uh, that's on my CD list. What about yours? Uh, I cannot say this enough. My favorite Christmas album of all time is Nat King Cole, The Christmas Song. And uh, it, it is one of those things, whereas, I, I mean, I, I joke about how they, they have the Christmas song by Nat King Cole that they play like once an hour on the streaming service that Carol belongs to. But it's one of those things where it's like, I, I'm sorry, I cannot get enough of this album. And it was um, it's traditional from the diesel era. Um, it's it's not retro in any way, shape or form. And uh, um, I mean, one of my favorite albums from the last 20 years was Unforgettable by Natalie uh, Cole. Um, where oh, she yeah. redid a lot of uh, songs from that her that that made her dad famous. Um, I I can't get enough of of this one album. There's something about Nat King Cole. This is just uh, I think he was a, an incredible performer. And uh, I mean, to this day, it was um, uh, I choke up sometimes every once in a while listening to some of his renditions of some of the classic songs. It's the essential diesel punk traditional Christmas album. It's what a wonderful nice. life. It, it's it's to Christmas music as to what the wonderful life is to Christmas movies. Yeah, our family. Uh, the one, the main one that uh, our family listens to from that era is the uh, the Bing Crosby "Merry Christmas" album. I believe it's called "Merry Christmas, White Christmas." Either way, it's got him with a Santa hat on the cover. You can't miss it. We got it. We got it. Everybody has it. Everybody should have it. Exactly. That is. It's just. It's like. Nat King Cole's Christmas song. It's like It's a Wonderful Life. It is a staple. You have to mm-hmm. have it. I agree. I agree. All right, folks. Well, I tell you what, uh, Diane, uh, Daisy, do you have anything else to add? Um, oh, you almost outed me there. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Got that alter ego going on, see? Got that alter ego stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah secret ego. identity. I almost let your secret identity slip. Ooh, alter ego, yeah. On Wednesdays, I have a completely different bird than I have on Tuesdays. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it took a moment, uh, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Alter ego. <laughs> alter ego. I, I don't really have much else to say. I've, I've been talking a lot more than usual this time around, but... uh. If we are, are we closing out? Well, I don't have much more to add. Uh, Eric, do you have more to add? No, it's funny how this week I'm the quiet one. Uh, and, and Daisy is just uh, uh, talking a blue streak. No, I, I think the one thing that I, I, I will mention um, is that, I, I mean, obviously it's always a pleasure um, talking with you and, 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 and Daisy. Um, but my wife and I are—we're doing something different this year. We are—we're shutting down all the media, with the exception of obviously music, Christmas m- music, and we sort of said that, with the exception of uh, a Christmas special here and there, we're turning off all visual media. Um, that ain't a bad idea. And it, the house is so much happier. The house is just so much happier, and uh, we got a, a an amazing snowstorm. Um, this weekend and and uh, and then some rain Sunday afternoon. So why the chances of me having a white Christmas is pretty nil. But it, it's probably one of the best Christmas gifts that we've given each other um, in ages. Just shut off the media, shut off the TV, 
put on some music and just enjoy each other's company and really getting reconnecting with the true uh, spirit of Christmas. And uh, uh, I'm also going to just throw out there one last thing that I think that everybody would enjoy is that on Audible, you can find Tom Baker does an unabridged version of uh, uh, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. And uh, I mean, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. I'm especially a, uh, a fourth Doctor Doctor Who fan. And um, Tom Baker's voice is, is simply phenomenal in this. Give it a listen. It's, it's, um, it's a different take. It's a different performance than Patrick Stewart's Christmas Carol that was mm-hmm. all the rage back in the 90s. But Tom Baker's Christmas Carol is, is quite a treat. Give that a listen. That's and uh, and and that sounds great. Uh, you know, everybody has a favorite doctor, right? Uh, Tom Baker's mine, and I think that I think it's a generational thing, partially, because um, I've always thought that somebody's favorite doctor is usually the uh, is the first doctor once they di- when they discover Doctor Who. Maybe I'm wrong. But it always seems like every person I said, well, so-and-so, you know, is my favorite doctor. And so, this other person is my favorite doctor. And then it always turns out, it's usually that's the one that they started watching when he, when he discovered Doctor Who and he started getting into it. That's the one they kind of get hooked on. And, you know, it's kind of like the first love. It's the, the first doctor is, a, is their favorite. So Tom Baker was the doctor when I was growing up. So he's still my favorite. So that sounds fantastic. Sounds like something I need to check out. So on that note, on that note. (laughs) Uh, Okay, folks. Well, I tell you what, it's kind of a, not a long episode tonight, but um, Eric, Daisy, uh, do y'all have any more to add? Because I am talked out. I'm going to just, I'm going to bow out right here, right now. I'm going to wish everybody a um, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, um, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever, whatever your, uh, your, your persuasion is, whatever your winter solstice holiday is. Um, I wish you a joyous holiday season and um, uh, keep your chins up, your fedoras on and stay safe and sober when hitting the road. Oh, yes. Fantastic, Eric. Daisy, you want to say a little something? Well, I just hope everybody has the most wonderful holiday and the most swinging new year that they can have. And until we meet again, good evening, friends. <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay. Well, folks, uh, this wraps up a our holiday special. Uh Hope you enjoyed it, and uh, you know it's chilly outside. Uh, check on your neighbors, check on the dogs, bring your plants in, bring the dogs in, and uh, take good care of each other because that's what life is all about. Catch you next time. Bye. Baby, it's cold, cold outside.